This show has bad words and spoilers. If you don't like that, then you can bite my shiny metal ass. Please listen responsibly, you stupid human. It's time for Witness Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. <laughs> I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where me and Brian go back and forth week after week, surprising each other with what we're going to talk about the following week. Brian, this was your pick. This was a surprise. This was a surprise. This is a movie I had not seen yet, and I was like, damn it, I gotta see this because everybody raves about it. Well, do you understand why people are raving about it now? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I, I feel like if enough people rave about a certain thing, listen. You know, if, if several people are like, this is the best movie of the 2010s, maybe see the movie. At the very least, you don't have to say like, yeah, it's one of the best movies of the 2010s, which it is, but definitely at check the very it least, at that point. see the movie. Where would you put this in your ranking of things in the 2010s? Is it even going to leave a mark on your list? Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave a mark. How, how like, big of a mark? Like a very chrome colored mark right across my <laughs> mouth. Fair enough. Uh, that's a weird thing if you hadn't seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this week, Brian has bearded us all. Mad Max Fury Road from 2005, directed by George fucking Miller. George fucking Miller of the other Mad Max and Happy Feet movie fame. Exactly. It is bizarre to think that this movie does not happen without, firstly, the Mad Max films that came before it. The three others. Mel Gibson. Exactly. Does not happen without Babe. Pig in the City. Well, he, he produced the original Babe, and then That's he said, true. I'm going to take the reins and throw this little fucking hamster <laughs> in the big city and see what happens. And everyone said, shouldn't have done that. You know what? I think I could do Babe better. And then he didn't. And then he did not. Then he was trying to get this movie off the ground, and they said, well, uh, we'll actually get there down the road. And they said, we can't let you do that right now. Instead, you're going to do a happy feat. Down the road, you said? It's not a road. <laughs> Basically, this movie doesn't happen without Happy Feet Babe and Happy Feet 2. And that's Which, insanity. That's absolutely insane. And I love it even more for that reason. And we will get there later. Later. Because I want much, to talk in great detail about this movie. Because this is one of the most fascinating production stories that exists, period. I have so much intrigue. Just welling up inside me right now well i'm very very glad to hear that do you want to get into it yeah absolutely we're gonna get right into our scoring system here our first category is story motivation we pull the synopsis of the movie directly from wikipedia i have to imagine it basically says like randy newman-esque quotes <laughs> of action they were driving through the desert the max who's so mad in this movie played by the tom fucking hardy only has 52 lines yeah so not counting grunts good luck wikipedia good luck with the world a desert wasteland following societal collapse and warfare over resources a survivor named max rockatansky played by dom fucking hardy is haunted by the memories of all the people he has failed to protect it's pretty neat how they like get all these old visions in there and they look almost you know, like a strange i can't want to drop this sam raimi dark man sort of they are way. kind of dark man-esque i hadn't thought of that until you said it but yeah 
Absolutely. Max is captured and taken to the citadel of Warlord Immortan Joe, played by Hugh fucking Keys Byrne. He crushes it. Absolutely. This guy, the first time you see him, you're like, this is the bad guy? Eh. And then the rest of the movie, you're like, this guy's a badass. <laughs> he absolutely is. That, that mask that he puts on that has like the teeth, but it's really for him to like so breathe. breathe. Oh, God, it's good. It's good stuff. Max is imprisoned and used as a blood bag for Nux, played by Nicholas fucking Holt, who's a sick war boy. So basically, these sick war boys use blood bags in order to like have a transfusion to give them a little bit more life. But they're literally using a proper person who's alive. It's a human being, universal donor. It's tattooed on his back. Well, they also say it's high-octane blood, which has got to be a pretty fucking baller thing to know you have. Well, I feel like everything here is some sort of car pun, so... <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, this guy, he's got high-octane blood. And what does that mean, really? He's, he's just got, like, O-positive? That means he's a 10-second man. Is there an O-positive? There's no negative, and that's what this boy is. He's an O-negative, which is high-octane. Meanwhile, Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlie's fucking Theron, one of Joe's lieutenants, is sent in an armored war rig to trade produce for petrol and ammunition with two of Joe's allies. I like that Wikipedia for the rest of this movie just calls him Joe. It's a good move. <laughs> you know, uh, this big, massive, scary-looking guy, Joe. So basically this citadel, where Morton Joe kind of reigns over, it has some trees, it has some grass. Inside, they like, have hydroponic lettuce growing. Yeah. So they do have a water source. And he also, like, releases water to the people he rules over for, like, a good 15 seconds of just like a, full tilt right. water. And then he turns it off. And that's how he kind of keeps his rule over these people. Yeah, he just has the occasional wet t-shirt contest. Exactly. But surrounding the Citadel is nothing but desert. And it is true desert because this movie was shot entirely in Namibia. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's desert. It is desert. It was supposed to be shot in Australia where George Miller is from, where they were going to shoot it, got flooded out, so they had to suspend production on this thing for, like, the 10th time. Yeah, I heard, like, wildflowers started growing, and they were like, well, we can't use this place Can't now. use that. It looked too pretty at that point. So <laughs> one of the places that they had scouted out previously was the Namibian Desert, to which the producers on this movie pretty much phoned up Warner Brothers and said, hey, we just shipped 120 cars to Namibia to shoot uh, <laughs> Mad Max. They're like, you did fucking what? He said, yeah, the 120 cars, they're on the way there. We could bring them back after they arrive, but it's a huge waste of money. Wow. So they basically uh, let their balls of fury hang out. I was going to say. And it worked out perfectly. They produced the shit out of this movie. Called the bluff of the Warner Brothers. They did, both of them. And the Warner sister Dot. That's right. <laughs> Maybe they should get out of their water tower, pay attention to what's going on at their studio once in a while. You know, water towers are where you find the villains in this movie. It's so. true. Very true. When Joe realizes his five wives are fleeing in the rig, he leads his army in pursuit of Furiosa, calling on the aid of Gastown and the Bullet Farm. So Furiosa takes a hard left at Albuquerque and just starts driving to the <laughs> desert, to which Immortan Joe's son, I guess... The guy in yeah. the wheelchair, he's like looking at a telescope. He's like, ah, your girl's not going, supposed to be going. And he then runs to like this vault where he hides his wives. And he's like, <laughs> my wives. 
never realized till this moment <laughs> that Sasha Baron Cohen as yeah. Orin Joe would be fan fucking tastic. Oh, be my wives. We need to get them back, especially the one who sits on my face. <laughs> She's my favorite. He has a favorite wife, which is fucked. But it also, kind of I've never but... been in a in one of these uh, polyamorous relationships or whatever. I don't know how the hierarchy works. Right. I feel like if you have five wives, eventually you pick a favorite. But what does the, that entail? At the very least, you have a least favorite. You absolutely are going to have a bottom of the barrel if wife. If there's five wives, <laughs> one of them is going to just be like, mm, not you. Not you. But then she kind of gets to live her own life in a little bit of freedom because she's not going to get picked Right, that she's often. actually the luckiest of the five wives. So realistically, the way to survive in this polyamorous relationship is to just fucking hate the husband. Just the with most. The warlord. Exactly. If you're in a polyamorous relationship with a warlord. That's very important to note. <laughs> Are Mormons warlords? I, I think they're too nice to be warlords. Follow-up question. Are Mormons too nice? To be warlords? Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, like, there's something passive-aggressive about, like, a short sleeve uh, shirt with a tie. Like, Dwight there Troop style. There is something... A little too casual, but also not. Have you seen You're Book of Mormon? Mixed messages. I have not seen Book of Mormon. It was actually just in town last weekend, and I was like, I should go, and then, you know, didn't. <laughs> okay. Man, you must really want to see that. I do, but it's just escaped me every time. Oh, man. It's fantastic. Things like Super Bowls were happening, so. Well, the Super Bowl is also the greatest Super Bowl of all time, and I say that just because the Eagles lost. <laughs> that's all it will take for it to be the greatest Super Bowl of all time let that Philadelphia hate live within you they lost the Super Bowl the World Series and the MLS final all in a span of 99 days and to celebrate I will masturbate for 99 <laughs> straight days <laughs> to pictures of Gritty Gritty's a, a treasure I will give him that. <laughs> the only redeemable thing about Philadelphia, Wawa and Gritty. They managed to personify the city of Philadelphia with this creepy mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> and he's delightful. He is delightful. He's Somehow. like the Philadelphia frenetic. We're allowed to say it on the show. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but with charm and not just a complete asshole, because the Philly fanatic is a complete asshole. That's true. So, so <laughs> to summarize, Dave hates all of Philadelphia except for Gritty. Yeah, Gritty is very cool in my book. But Gritty is the personification of Philadelphia. Yeah, which is strange, right? It's, uh, I don't follow, but I appreciate that there's something. There's something in Philly that you can appreciate. Like, I don't want to quote Jim Brewer because he's a complete shit stain on the world now. <laughs> but if I were in Philadelphia and I'm like surrounded by Philadelphians and Gritty, it would be a Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool, and fuck you. Yeah, that checks out. And everyone would know who I'm pointing to for the, you're cool. Yeah. Everyone. Except for him, because his eyes are all wonky. They are so wonky. <laughs> it's part of the charm. So Nux joins the pursuit with Max strapped to his car, and a battle ensues. Now, when you say strapped to the car... Uh, yeah, he is like hood ornament. Yeah, he's got a big old mask on his face... <laughs> And he is literally strapped to the front of this car as Nux's blood bag, which I don't know why you would put your source of life at the front of a thing that you are driving and possibly going to crash. Yeah, it's, uh, it seems like a bold move. I would 
think that's the boldest of moves. Then again, you know, Valhalla awaits. It's a good point. So I guess he's just gotta he's just gotta get his blood bag through this one drive and then Oh, that drive's gonna get a whole lot trickier though. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because Furiosa drives into a sandstorm and loses all of her pursuers, except Nux, who attempts to sacrifice himself to blow up the rig. And the way he sacrifices himself <laughs> is the most lunatic thing ever. It's absolutely insane, and I love it. Because they just spray like a silver spray paint in their mouths. Yeah. Yelling about Valhalla and witness me and... Witness me. Man, tell me you're expendable without telling me you're expendable. (laughs) I just like that Joe has all these guys convinced. Like, yeah, you just spray paint your teeth chrome, and then Valhalla awaits, and then you're reborn. It's all great. It is all great. And Martin Joe can't spray paint his mouth because he's got that big old breathy mask on. If anybody can spray paint their mouth. He could do it the best. The best. He could just fire it on there. So many coats, he won't even know. Man, this is getting me so jacked up right now. <laughs> but also, he would need a mirror to witness himself. Very, very, very good point. Um, I, I do want to talk about the, I don't know what it is, so much to say, like the, the chasers, I guess. This chasing okay. army in cars and whatnot. All these cars look amazing. They're so cool. The designs of them are completely nuts. They pretty much just put a bunch of artistic mechanics into a warehouse in Australia said, go. Also, don't buy anything. Here's a junkyard. Amazing. And then they got to go to town and have a great time doing it. But the single greatest thing in film history occurs when we see the people who are going to be pursuing Furiosa. Because you see this truck that has all these drums on it. You're like, oh, cool. They got a whole drum truck, which is neat. It, they have a like drum you truck. break out like a fife, and it feels like you're in the Patriot, Mel Gibson style or something. Yeah. They're marching to it. But then the drummers are like, no, we're actually the bitches of the musical group here because there is an entire truck that has enough speakers that <laughs> Snoop Dogg from old school and Speaker City would blow their eardrums out. And then there's a man playing electric guitar and just Coma the warrior the fuck out. Uh, suspended with bungee cords in front of these speakers, playing a 138-pound guitar with actual pyrotechnics built into it. Absolutely incredible. Like, cinema should have stopped. We've done it. We've, we've did it. We've, it. we've officially peaked. It took the score and made it practical. It did somehow. Against all odds. Yes. Junkie XL, who did the music for this movie, is a genius. (laughs) I feel like the first time we heard about Junkie XL, we we laid it on pretty thick, making fun of him and his name. Yeah. And in this, he goes by his real name, a.k.a. Junkie XL, because he went, you mean there's a little golden boy in it for me this time? Huh. All right. Oh, you mean I'm not scoring a Deadpool? I can take this seriously? God, this fucking doof warrior, man. (laughs) I love it so much. He's so good. He's so good. He's my favorite part of the movie. Without a doubt, but it's just like the thought. You have all these drivers and pursuers who are getting behind these wheels and whatnot, and you just have the one. It's like, what's your trait? He goes, I rock ridiculously hard. Yeah, I'm here to pump up all these guys. Up! Is what he would say if he had a mouth. If he had a mouth, yes. Max manages to free himself from his restraints and uh, captures Nux, and Furiosa destroys their car. That's not great when you're middle of the desert. No, you, you gotta need that. So after the storm passes, Max finds Furiosa repairing the rig, accompanied by Joe's wives. Toast, played by Zoe fucking Kravitz. Capable, played by Riley Keough. 
The Dag, played by Abby Lee. Cheeto, played by Cordy Eaton. And Angarad, played by Rosie fucking Huntington Whiteley. Splendid is her name. The Splendid, yeah. And she is the favorite. And she's also extremely pregnant with Joe's child. Like super duper pregnant. Like, like as pregnant as you can get before you're not pregnant any longer. <laughs> right. <laughs> In one way or another, I guess. I guess you're always the most pregnant that you are going to be. <laughs> I suppose. Let's just say like like 350, it's already been like long enough for this baby to be cooked. This baby is definitely fully baked, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Yeah. We'll get there this, actually cuz we this bun we'll is find mostly... out later how cooked the baby was. That's true. Max tries to steal the rig, but he doesn't know the code to bypass the kill switches, so he begrudgingly joins up with Furiosa and the wives. Is it begrudgingly when you hold six different people at gunpoint? <laughs> it feels a Is little begrudgingly. For it? <laughs> and then you have to like disarm the cab of the truck that has like a hundred guns in it. It's so good how he's just pointing and saying like, give me that. That one too. That gun too. And he's the amount of guns that he's grabbing from this cab is ridiculous. It's absolutely insane, and I love it. How begrudging could it be, though, to be forced to team up with these five beautiful women and, oh yeah, Charlize Theron? Charlize Theron, and we're going to get there, is possibly the best female character ever? She's so Possibly? Good. She's so good. We will get there. We will have to get there, but I mean, what she does in this movie is ridiculous. This whole movie is ridiculous. That's but, a good point. But yes. Nux boards the rig as it leaves and attempts to kill Furiosa, but he is overcome and thrown out, and Joe's army picks him up when they pass by. He grabs, like, a white scarf from one of the wives and starts, like, running back across the desert, just holding it up. Waving it like he's, like he's surrendering, but he's on the team of the people that he's surrendering right, to. Right, so now I guess he's the favorite, sort of? <laughs> I don't know. He's now the, the most expendable, because clearly he's going to buy in any bullshit that Morton Joe tells him. <laughs> Furiosa drives through a canyon controlled by a biker gang, having arranged to trade fuel for her safe passage, but the gang turns on her when they spot an army approaching, forcing her to flee. The bikers detonate the canyon walls to block Joe, and then pursue the rig, only stopping when the fuel pod explodes. It's not great, and if you organize safe passage and you bring three war parties with you, <laughs> maybe don't do that. It's like, oh, you see, safe passage becomes a lot more difficult when you bring along, you know, all these people chasing you. Maybe leave, like, you know, the bullet farmers and, and the gas people at home. Well, they all, like, called out to each other these flares and whatnot. And these flares, I guess, represent different signals for help from the different factions and whatnot. It's like, that's not great. Joe drives over the blockade in a monster truck and catches up with the rig, allowing Nux to board and attack Furiosa again but he trips before he reaches the cab. <laughs> he does. And it's after Morton Joe like gives him this big speech. He's like, I'll witness you straight to hell, son. He sprays his mouth. And you have Nux walking across the top of the cab like with a strut, and then he trips. He trips. And it all goes to hell for him. And, and Joe's like, what an embarrassment. I think what he says is, mediocre. That is what he says. Which is, he calls again, him the ultimate insult. Because <laughs> we talked uh, about that with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase back on the old show, how Bill Murray called Chevy Chase mediocre talent. Oh, yeah. And it's like, wow. Damn. You're not saying you don't have any talent. You're saying the talent you do have isn't very good. Eh. <laughs> I think the kids call it mid. 
do that. You call it that now. I'm not with it anymore. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's their new way of of making fun of something. Like, oh yeah, that's pretty mid. God, I feel like Doctor Evil. Like more and more every day. Like I'm hip. I'm cool. All right. Someday we're talking Austin Powers. It's going to happen. Had to actually put it in words. Now yeah, it's out there. In it's the out there now. While helping Max, Splendid falls off the rig and is fatally run over by Joe, who temporarily halts his pursuit. She's got a real bad case of being run over by a monster truck. Yeah. And all the other wives are like, did you see her die? And he's like, she went under the wheels. That that usually is, that's, that's a yes, but he won't say yes. He's just like, saw her go under the wheels. It's like, all right, Tom Hardy. Just just say, yeah, she's dead. Just say, yeah, she got she got smushed. Say something other than she went under the wheels twice. She went under the wheels. She went under the wheels. I can't wait to talk screenplay. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait either. <laughs> Capable finds Nux hiding in the rig and consoles him as he laments his failure for reasons. Yeah, she's like laying down next to him and he's all sad boy, sad war boy. And she's like, oh, no, you're a good war boy. <laughs> I guess. It's like, oh, no, it's okay that you tried to kill the person helping me escape twice. It'll get better. Supposed to show humanity, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> After dark, Furiosa and Max slow Joe's forces with mines set in Swampland. But Joe's ally, the Bullet Farmer, played by Richard fucking Carter, continues to pursue. I was going to say, you better put the hardest F on that one. <laughs> This vehicle, it's got the, the tank treads on it. Yeah, it does. And this is all practical. Yeah, it is. This was the most dangerous vehicle of all of them. Yes, it was. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and the shots they use with him coming up is just so over the top. So absolutely insane. The rig gets stuck, and Nux emerges from hiding to help free it, joining the crew. He's one of the good guys now. Good for him. Yeah. Furiosa blinds the approaching bullet farmer. Just some really well-placed shooting. Well, she shoots a spotlight because you have Max is sitting there firing a sniper. Yeah. At this approaching tank car with a big spotlight on it. And he misses two shots. And you have Toast behind him. One of the wives counting the shots because they have a certain amount of bullets. Yeah. And Furiosa comes up to him. And Max, not really even hesitating, hands her the rifle. And she shoulders it on his shoulder to oh, fire it steady. She says, don't like, breathe. Man, that is so good. It's and she so explodes good. the spotlight right in the bullet farmer's face. It's awesome. Yeah. And now he's blind, which means all of his other senses are enhanced. That's the way it works. Yes. Max goes and confronts him and returns with guns and ammunition. And you have the bullet farmer who just directs his guys to just fire wildly at them. <clears throat> Just as a blind person would do, I guess, when, when yeah. it comes to guns. They're you know what? Not guns aiming. blazing. <laughs> They're spraying and praying. But then Max goes and, you know, does his thing and comes back. He does do his thing. I like how he walks into this fog. In the distance, you see this giant explosion, and then he comes back. And they're still not sure if it's him or not. You're not sure, but he has blood on his face coming down, to which one of the wives is like, are you okay? And I love Furious. He goes, that's not his blood. It's not his blood. Which is Awesome! So good. In the morning, Furiosa explains to Max that the green place to which they are escaping is an idyllic land she remembers from her childhood. 
She recognizes a familiar landmark and shouts out her history and clan affiliation to a woman on top. A naked woman. She's super naked. It's bait. That is, like, if there was a making a meme. Oh, man. That's it. That's it. It is perfect. Tom Hardy. That's bait. (laughs) It's, like, such a perfect line reading for it, and I'm happy that history has not forgotten it. I feel like in the script, it was like, okay, we're going to go through page after page after page of mostly storyboards, and then we get to this one page, Uh like, all right, we're going to create a meme here, and then we're going to continue with the movie. I feel like that's what they wrote in. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hardy does a meme, and then, uh, yeah, (laughs) continue along. The woman on top of this landmark summons her all-female clan, the Vuvalini, who recognize Furiosa as one of their own, who was kidnapped as a child. But Furiosa is devastated to learn the swampland from the previous night was the green place and is now uninhabitable, and that there are only seven of the Vuvalini left. This shot of Furiosa is unreal. With the blowing sand around her as she starts mourning on her knees and whatnot. And you know the direction that George Miller gave her for this? What was it? There was none. Because Charlize Theron said, I got it. Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Incredible. She's so good. She is so good. The group, without Max, begin to ride across the immense salt flat, hoping to find a new home. After seeing a vision of a child he failed to save, Max catches up and convinces the others to return the way they came and take the undefended citadel, which has ample water and crops. They came from the greenest place to start. It's time to go back. On the way back, they meet Joe's forces and engage in battle. Five Vuvalini and many members of Joe's forces are killed, and Toast is captured. I really like the way she's captured, too, because they introduce all these crazy warboy things up front. Like, you have the the war rig, which is just a big tractor-trailer for the most part. Yep. You have all these guys on bikes. You have the polecats, and that's what the these guys cats. are at the end. They have these to keep Cirque du Soleil foxes. Well, they're sitting on top of like a pole vault, and they're swinging back and forth, and they just kind of like pick toast right out of the car. Yeah, it's, I mean. And they get over the cars because the way these poles bend, they're able to just drop grenades pretty much on top of them. Incredible. It is. So the imagination is ridiculous. They are actual Cirque du Soleil performers. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. I mean, all of the war boys are all stuntmen. It makes sense. And they had to go into like a specific type of training to learn how to get into these characters because stuntmen usually don't play characters. They're not right. usually playing these feral, dying half-life weirdos. <laughs> these white-painted boys. And also the fact that the camera is going to capture damn near everything. So they have to always be in character. As they approach the canyon, Joe gets in front of the rig to slow it. While Max fights Joe's large adult son, Rictus Erectus, played by Nathan fucking Jones. He's a very big man. He's very big. I mean, his name is Rictus Erectus. It's true. Furiosa, although seriously wounded, goes to save Toast, and she kills Joe. She's like super duper wounded because she gets shivved. With her own knife. With her own knife. That she didn't do the shiving, but... It was not a self-shiv. It was not a self-shiv. Very very important to note, when someone inflicts the wound with their own... Like, it's not like a Plexigo Burris (laughs) putting uh, his own handgun in his sweatpants and then getting shot. That's not what this is. No. 
She's bleeding pretty bad. Uh, but she manages to kill the immortal guy. The allegedly immortal. Immortal Joe. That's got to feel pretty good. I mean, I mean, it would rank pretty high on my list. Killing somebody <laughs> who's so allegedly too. immortal. Pretty neat. And also the guy who kidnapped you as a child probably put you through so many atrocities. Yeah. Not a bad way to end. Sent somebody who literally stabbed you moments before. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and probably feel pretty good. The surviving brides and Volvolini cross over to Joe's vehicle, and Nux sacrifices himself by wrecking the rig to block the canyon. What a moment from this guy who started out as a baddie. It's so good. Wanted yeah. to prove his worth over and over and over to Morton Joe, and then he saw the light. Yeah, and he looks to Capable and says, witness me. Not to not to his f- previous warlord, but to this girl he just met. It's really good. It's so good. Witness me. And then he just Flips blows the, up the, the, the rig. giant and rig and blocks the canyon. Yeah, that's pretty much all she wrote for just about everybody behind him. Yeah. Max transfuses his blood to Furiosa, saving her life. Because, you know, he's a blood bag. <laughs> he is. He's O-negative. High he's like, oh, I, I know what I can do here to help her. I already got all the holes that I need. Yeah. <laughs> in order for my blood to, you know, drain. Back of the Citadel, the people rejoice upon learning of Joe's death and tear his corpse to pieces. Oh, man, that is such a wild scene, too, because they drive in. Max gets on top of Immortan Joe's car, pulls the sheet out, and all that's there is the face that... Like the faceless Immortan Joe dead. He yeah. kicks him over the side and he just gets torn to shreds. It's amazing. Cause these people are like, this guy gives us like 15 seconds of water every few months, claiming to be immortal, and now here he is dead. Well, what he says about water, Immortan Joe, like at the beginning, he's like, Don't become addicted to water because then you'll learn to hate it when it's not around. Like, what does any of that mean, Joe? Yeah. And then he turns on the faucet. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting how quick all of all of Joe's people who are still here at this, you know, complex are just like, oh, yeah, he's dead now. OK. Now, what's the next thing? As Max's companions are lifted in triumph to Joe's cliffside fortress, Max exchanges a glance with Furiosa and disappears into the crowd. It is such a powerful ending. So good. It's just Max saying like. I'm done. I did the thing. I'm going to carry out my adventures. Yeah. That's all it is. So good. This so movie's good. just all action. It's so hard to just talk about action. It is. It is. But that is Mad Max from 2015, directed by George fucking Miller. I will go on record yet again saying I think it is the best movie of the 2010s. It's my favorite movie from the past 10 years, easily. I know that Derek Ives wrote in asking... If we had seen this in theaters and what the theater experience is like, because this is one of his favorite movie theater experiences. And I saw this when I was living down in Texas in theaters. Mm. And I fully agree with Derek because I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Like, I don't know why I even bothered getting a chair that had a back to it because I never, (laughs) ever sat back. Give me a stool. I don't need anything else. Well, this movie starts and never stops. No, it does not let off the... Gas pedal, if you will. George Miller said he wanted to make a movie that is entirely a chase scene. And then he did. Crushed it. And it only took him 20 years. That's not that long. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) 
you know, Mel Gibson aged out of the role and, you know, other stuff happened with Mel Gibson. Is being anti-Semitic aging out of a role? Is that how that works? I love that it was like, it was going to be Mel Gibson. It was going to be Mel Gibson. Then it was like, all right, I got to go make these Penguin movies. And then it was like, oh, maybe it can't be Mel Gibson anymore. He comes back. <laughs> and all like, right, let's get Mel on the phone. Nothing bad happened, right? He said, yeah. what? He said, what about Jit? Oh, boy. I'm sorry. Who's Sugar Tits? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds like he aged out of the role. I, uh, let's, just, let's just say he aged out. Nothing not bad, but besides that, just aged out. <laughs> yeah, just aged out. That's what happens. Sometimes you go and make a couple of Penguin movies and you, you start ages out of the role. That's what happens. Uh, story motivation, 10. 10. Because this movie is just all story and all motivation. Absolutely. Speaking of Mel Gibson, casting. It's really good. It's really, really good. Everybody auditioned for this role. Yeah. Everybody. There was interest in Army Hammer, Jeremy Renner, Michael Fassbender, Joel Kinnaman, Heath Ledger, Eric Bana, fucking Eminem at one point. Eminem was almost cast in this role. Wild. And apparently Army Hammer was the one who, during like auditions, after he saw Tom Hardy do the reading, he told George Miller, like, that's your max. That's unreal. Heath Ledger was a big favorite, but he passed away. So that yep, didn't really work out all that well. He aged out of he the role. He <laughs> aged out of the role. Uh, but it's crazy because Charlize Theron, I don't think auditioned at all. She's the only one who just got the role. But do you know yeah. who Tom Hardy read with in his audition? Who? Kat Dennings. What? Yeah. Different movie entirely. Very different movie. Fascinating. See, I could see her being one of the wives. Maybe. but Maybe. Charlize Theron brought so much to the role outside of what's actually, I almost said in the script. We'll get there. Careful. <laughs> like, it's Charlize Theron's idea to have the shaved head. Really? Because she said, what the hell would I be doing working on cars and being a mechanic with long hair? It doesn't make right. any sense. Right. And it if I'm fighting against all these people, like, they're just going to pull the hair. It makes no sense. And she's also got only one arm in this movie. That's true. Was that also her idea? It was not her idea, but okay. <laughs> they apparently, like, the producers were like, ah, maybe we don't, maybe we don't. And Charlie Stern said, we absolutely fucking do. It's perfect for the character. Yeah, she's it is. She's damaged. Oh, that's why she's not one of the wives. No, they said that she could just, like, turn it on or off like a faucet tap, too. That's amazing. Yeah. So, oh, God, we'll get there. Always been a big fan. Uh, with the casting, though, Nicholas Holt is really good in this role. Uh, so good in this role. Hugh Key's burn, he doesn't do a lot in this movie, like, acting-wise, but just his presence is his, enough. His presence, he's foreboding. All of the wives are really good. Yeah. And then Tom Hardy, obviously, Tom Hardy nearly perfect. Is so good. <laughs> well, they cast Tom Hardy before he got famous, and then this movie got delayed so many times right. that he was now extremely famous by the time he did the Worked Mad Max role. very well for him. It really did. I'm going to go 10. Again. Yeah, it's a 10. Protagonist. Hear me out. Furiosa. I kind of agree. It's a Mad Max movie where Mad Max is the sidekick. He really is. So let's talk about Furiosa further, if we have to. I mean, we can only rave about one character so much, but she really is one of the best female characters ever. Yeah, absolutely. She has this full arc where she's trying to rescue these wives. Right. So she's kind of 
human trafficking for the right reasons. <laughs> That's not something you hear often. It's not, but she's trying to find her roots and get back to her home, this right. paradise where she was safe. Right. She and then finds out home. it doesn't exist anymore. So now she's rescuing the rest of her people at the same time. Yeah. And risking further life and further limbs on That's getting back there. to the place that has the vegetation and the water in this desert. Right. She is such a badass, and Tom Hardy really is just along for the ride. He's just there. And I think that really shows, especially in the scene where they take out the bullet farmer. You don't even get to see what he does. Exactly. To this bullet farmer. Right. It's And basically, it's, it's Furiosa. It's from Furiosa's point of view. Yeah. Furiosa is the one who makes it so Tom Hardy can just go and take care of it. And we stay with Furiosa while it happens. So, 100%. I'm going to go with an 11 for protagonist. You know what? I think it's warranted here. Antagonist. Immortan Joe? It has to be. I think it has to be. He's such a baddie, man. He's got a full control over this sort of kingdom, if you will. He's controlling the water. And in a desert, that's pretty important. That is most important. He's got five wives. Yep. He's going to get his treasure back. Got a couple sons who are, you know, one's a big, tough, strong guy. The other one is not so... Not so big and tough and strong. Right. I think that Immortan Joe, I'm happy he doesn't get recognized as like a super big bad. Like, I feel like that would make him stand out too much. Like if he were a Kylo Ren type at this point. Right. This is more, he has like a, a mythos behind him. Yes. He has all these followers that believe just being witnessed by him grants them, you know, this great afterlife. But we get dropped into sort of like the middle of this story in a way. There's clearly a beginning to how the Citadel came to be. Yeah. And the transfers of powers and yada, yada, yada. And we don't need to know any of that. We don't need to, but I, I have a feeling we might find out next year. We might find out next year with Furiosa. Yes. <laughs> I think that Immortan Joe's terrific. Yeah. I'm going to go with an eight. I think an eight is appropriate. He has just an amazing presence and is very intimidating. And somehow he has convinced other warlords to follow him. Just so we can get his wives back. It's almost like they have this sort of like trifecta of like, you lost your wives? Cool, I'm going to help you out. You lost your wives? I'm going to help you out or something like that. Yeah. It's strange how there's no questioning from the other warlords about following each other. Very interesting. You have the people eater. Yes, 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 yes. His his weird nose jewelry and his giant legs. Oh, man. It's just like, yeah, you, you need your wives back? I'm right here, bud. So good. Eight ah, so good. Let's talk about the screenplay. So here's the funny thing about this movie. <laughs> I don't know where to actually score this because there is no screenplay. Hard stop. It's so interesting. In the late 90s, early 2000s, while George Miller was making Happy Feet, importantly, uh, at his office as a studio, upstairs there was a Mad Max room. And it was kept a little bit secret from everybody, but there was only a few people up there actually working on the movie. And what they did was they literally drew storyboards. Yeah. And taped them around the walls in order to tell the story of Mad Max Fury Road. So this movie wasn't so much written as it was drawn in 3,500 storyboards. That's so many storyboards. And what you see on film is pretty much what was storyboarded. It's wild because. I mean, when you do a chase scene, you're you're doing visuals. You're not doing dialogue. Everything is focused on the action. So if you're doing a movie that's all chase scene, yeah, it should be 
all storyboard. It should be. I mean, your titular character has 52 lines in this movie. <laughs> That's it. And most of them are just, yeah, you, uh, me, huh? That's bait. That's how he operates. Yeah. Fuck it. 10. 10. There's no screenplay. It's all storyboard. I don't give a rat's ass. I that love is this by movie. design. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there was a shooting script. It had nothing to do with most of what's happening because right. the way that we're going to get there with George Miller, but the way they shot this thing was unlike how you would shoot movies. They shot it like a film school kid who is a little too overambitious, didn't bother sitting through class, would shoot this thing. Whenever you shoot a movie, <laughs> you shoot the entire scene and then you turn it around, shoot the other actors, and you would go from there. Have like your masters, your over the shoulders, your right. two shots, whatever it is, and then you would cut it together. With this, they would shoot the three-second shot and then cut. That's So wild. the actors don't really have time to do much in terms of what's going on on screen. Wow. And not to mention that we're just going to talk director now, I guess. <laughs> George Miller auditioned camera people. Really? Which is unheard of. That's wild. He got John fucking Seal out of retirement. To do this movie, and he auditioned camera people without a camera. <laughs> because he wanted what? to see how they would operate on set, because he said, I'm not going to be anywhere near these cars for the most part, right. because I won't be able to fit there as a director. I need to be able to communicate with the camera person. The camera person needs to be able to communicate with the actor. And wow. that's what he was looking for in these camera people. That's, wow. What are we talking about right now? Uh, we were about to move on to style and tone, but I feel like we should just talk about Let's director. Just director. Let's go there. We'll go back to style and tone. Style and tone's obviously an 11. Yeah. For, uh, and for so reasons, many reasons we'll get to in a little bit. But George Miller also did a funny thing on this movie where, since there is no dialogue for the most part in this movie, how do you audition actors? And he did it by giving them different scenes from different scripts. So he had a Monty Python script, like a scene ready to go. He had... Uh, monologues from the movie Network. He had monologues from when Harry met Sally. Really? And he basically said, like, I don't want you to mimic what you saw in those films. I want you to do these scenes like you've never seen them before. Oh, that's awesome. And he wasn't so much looking at what they were going to do. He was more curious about what they would pick so he could understand his actors a little bit more. Huh. He said pretty much everybody took the network monologues, but he got to see the way these different people operated. Yeah. To know that if they could withstand this enormous shoot in the middle of a desert, that was going to be <laughs> just absolute torture. It doesn't and it seem was. like it was fun. It wasn't fun. I mean, everybody on this thing had a miserable time. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've heard the rumors of Tom Hardy not being, not really playing nice. So he much. did not play nice, and they don't know if it was because he's a difficult actor to work with, which there's conflicting things out there, or yeah. if he was just method, which he is method. That's true. And that's just not great. At the same time, there's, there's multiple instances of him saying that he just did not see the vision that George Miller had for this. Nobody saw the vision. Until they saw the movie, and then they were like- Right. And, and Tom Hardy at Cannes actually apologized in his speech- introducing the movie to George Miller because he's like, dude, I didn't see it, but now I do. Nobody saw the vision that George Miller had because there was no way to see it. Right. Like you're putting your full trust in this director 
And a lot of actors, they need to put their trust in directors. They need to put their trust in the editors to make them shine. And George Miller gained all this trust and he learned how to be more demanding. Because of Happy Feet. With the studios. from It was from Happy Feet and from Babe, where he was making ridiculous <laughs> requests and getting what he wanted. But this is something special. Yeah. Like what he pulled off here. And he did get recognized with a Best Director nomination. He did. Which is pretty amazing. Uh, his second unit director and supervising stunt coordinator, Guy Norris, was also a huge part of this movie, in charge of 150 stunt performers. Do you know how Guy Norris got the 150 stunt performers to get on his level? How? In the opening scene of this movie, where Mad Max is driving his car. Yeah. And it flips, I think they said nine times over, and then Max crawls out, and that's when he gets busted from the War Boys. Yeah. Guy Norris did the stunt. Oh. <laughs> in the car. Goddamn. He took the hardest stunt right up front, because this movie was shot in sequence. Right. He took the hardest stunt up front, and they said that it flipped over nine times. And in rehearsals, he got it up to 13. Holy shit. Yeah. And pretty much after that happened, his stunt team said, I'll run through a fucking wall for that guy after he did that. <laughs> That's how you direct. That is exactly how you do it. Man. Yep. Uh, it's an 11 for it's an George 11. Miller. It has to be an 11. Yeah. I mean, it was a, you know what? It was a 10 for George Miller, but Guy Norris bumps it up to an 11. Well, George Miller also had to deal with all these delays on this movie. Yeah. This movie was supposed to go in 2001. Right. And it didn't. And it was supposed to go with Mel Gibson in 2001. Right. And the reason why it didn't happen was because of money. And it wasn't because of the budget. The budget they had given him at that time was $104 million. And now it's a $150 million movie. Right. But they said that the American dollar collapsed against the Australian dollar at the because time. Because of 9-11. So basically, 30% of the budget was gone overnight. That's insane. And Warner Brothers said, like, we can't do this movie for that money. Like, it doesn't yeah. make sense. George Miller said, yeah, let's push. Like, it makes sense for us to push at this point. Wow. We don't want to push, but we have to. We don't have a budget anymore. That's crazy. And that's when he did Happy Feet. <laughs> <laughs> let's double back to style and tone. It's an 11, and it's because... Of how much is practical in this movie, because most of it is practical. Yeah, CGI was used so sparingly. It's like basically enhancing the landscape, removing stunt rigging, and Charlize Theron's arm. That's your CGI for the movie. That's pretty much it, because all the cars are completely real. They're all made. They all were functional. The thing that makes me most happy about that is that means the doof warrior playing that guitar the entire time, practical. He's completely practical, and the guitar is completely practical because they built the guitar out of a bedpan like you'd find in a hospital, like a French <laughs> horn, horn, and put it together. And they designed it so that it could shoot the flames out. Right. And then George Miller said, like, that looks amazing. I can't wait to hear it play. To which the designer said, like, didn't see that coming. <laughs> so then they had to make that practical. <laughs> That's insane. I they love said it, it weighed so like 113 much. pounds, and they're not sure if the bungee cords were part of George Miller's original vision, or if it was to help out the actor holding this holding guitar. Holding the guitar, yeah. Iota is the name of the uh, the musician that plays. The doof Warrior. Coma the Doof Warrior. God, it's awesome. Also, style and tone, editing. George Miller's wife, Margaret fucking Sixel, does the editing in this movie. 470 hours of footage was shot for this movie. It took her three months to watch it. 
to cut it down to two hours. And it's a tight two hours. Yeah. And when she asked George why he wanted her to do the project, he said, because if a guy did it, it would look like every other action movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Directed the shit out of it, man. Style Tone's an 11. Style Tone 11. is an 11. Man, it's a lot of 11s. Yeah, it is. So let's talk about music. Junkie fucking Excel. Junkie fucking Excel. Tom fucking Hulkenborg. I can't believe he didn't get nominated. I'm very surprised. Because they managed to mix a lot of practical sound into the actual score of this movie. Yeah. And the score isn't something you're going to go around humming, I guess. No. But it is but, so oh, perfect for this it's movie. It's so good. I watched this movie on my projector, 120-inch screen, with headphones on, and there's this very subtle beat that plays through most of the movie that just keeps getting a little bit faster, and it's like a heartbeat, and it just it ramps everything up so much to the point where like my heart rate increased while watching this movie because it was just keeping up with this, the score. Well, that's got to go into sound editing, which it did win for. Which it did win for sound editing. That's true. But like, I just, I loved it. I loved it so much. Chunky XL, you killed it. It's seven. Seven? Yeah, it feels low, but also feels high. It does. You're right. So, so maybe that makes that it means, perfect? It's the Goldilocks range, right? That's right. It's too high, but it's too <laughs> low. Also, do four ears. Oh, so good. Next category is box office. That one's not up to us. Movie uh, had an estimated budget of $150 million. It made $415 million, which is a 276.8% return, which gives it an eight. Not bad. Not bad at all. It opened the same week and is Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, and, yeah, that's uh, stiff competition. That's it why did. it didn't do well, as well as it could have. Pitch Perfect 2 did win the weekend. So Yes, it did. Won the week, whatever. Sure, whatever they say. They both uh, dethroned Age of Ultron, so. All right, I'm okay with Age of Ultron getting dethroned anytime. So yeah, it was like fine. week three. So for an Avengers movie, that's that's pretty pretty early. Yeah, it is. that's really early for Pitch Perfect two and Mad Max Fury Road. To be like, get out of here, Marvel. Yeah, we've talked Age of Ultron, which it was weird because it was one of our shorter episodes we did on Cape Podcasters, which made no sense since it's an Avengers movie, right? Yeah. But it just showed how empty that movie sort of was. Yeah, they did Ultron dirty. They really did. That's an eight for box office. They got him back in what if a little bit? A little bit. Oh, yeah. They a did. little bit. A little bit. The final category is impact on the industry. Huge. Enormous. This is an action movie that got nominated for 10 Oscars. <laughs> and I remember watching the Oscars that night, and it was cleaning up. Yeah, it won six. It did. It won six Early ones, too, with film editing, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, sound mixing, sound editing, production design, and it also got nominated for visual effects, cinematography, directing, and best picture. That's huge. But while watching this on the day, Twitter was kind of going a little wild because they're like, holy shit, Mad Max is cleaning up. Like, it actually may have a chance here. Yeah. Spotlight ended up taking it because it was Oscar bait, pretty much. That's bait. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> That's from the movie. But Mad Max legitimately had a chance at winning Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah. It took 20 years to make this movie. That's... And it gets looked at again as one of the best movies of the decade. Yeah. And it's typically ranked as number one. 
Oh, also, there's a sequel coming out next year. Furiosa. Yeah. Well, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. It's Furiosa. I cannot wait for it. I'm very excited for it. And I believe Tom Hardy is still signed on for three more Mad Max movies. That's ridiculous, and I hope they get made, but I have to go with a 10 It's yeah on the impact for this one. It's I have huge. to. huge. And that is going to give Mad Max Fury Road a total score of, we might be in trouble, 96. We are not in trouble, because on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie got a 97. (laughs) That was way too close. The audience score is 86, which is a bit weird. That's surprising. Roger Ebert didn't see this movie, even though, no, fuck it, he saw this movie, he loved it. He was dead for three years, and he said, that rules. He, uh, he, He witnessed the movie in Valhalla. He did. He popped his hand up through the ground with big old thumbs up. <laughs> uh, his jaw is still spray painted silver. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> he loved it so much. Oh, it's so good. Brian, I'm so happy you finally saw Mad Max Fury Road. I'm so happy I finally saw it. But now it's that fun time of the month where me and you aren't going to beer each other anything. That's right. It's not up to us now. It's not. It's the last week of the month, which means that the audience gets to beer us a movie. It's in the hands of you, the listeners. How many movies are on that list right now? There's about 30, 35 movies. Only a few are doubled up because our patrons have written in and now they have two pick seats because you're allowed to if you're a patron. That's right. We cannot veto anything on this list. That's true. Anything that comes up, that is what we are talking about, no matter what. No matter what. So, Brian. Why don't you go in your little random number generator and beer us all a movie from the audience? And the movie we're going to be talking about next week, submitted by Derek Ives, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. That is going to be a lot of fun. It's a documentary, but it's a really good documentary. I'm very excited. Have you seen it? I have not, no. Oh, shit. All right. Uh, Possible guest coming on. Also, it's possible possible, because someone claimed this movie like three years ago on the old show if we ever did it. And we're going to talk to him and see what happens with it. But next week, thanks to the audience, and especially Derek Ives for this one, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, get in your picks for next month's pick, and uh, join us on Patreon for Black Widow. You can also email us your questions, comments, or your listener picks to beermeamoviepod at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at Beer Me a Movie on most of the things. Beer Me a Movie Pod on Twitter, where we put up a post on recording day asking for your questions and comments. I already read one. It was Derek Ives. This man's famous today. Yeah, he is. Well, this question comes from Jeff Miners, and he wants to know Wed Bed Behead Movie Car Part Two because he wrote in on Cape Podcast we did one. No, oh, wow. uh, where the first time he said uh, for Wed Bed Behead Bandit One, poking the Bandit, the Bullet Mustang. <laughs> That's right. And the General Lee. And now this time he wants to know the last of the V8 interceptors, so the original Mad Max car. Okay. Eleanor. Ooh. From Gone Six Seconds. And the Pontiac GTO from Triple X. Oh, see, I knew there had to be some Vin Diesel representation in there somewhere. I love the GOAT. I've always loved the GOAT. I think I'm going to marry the GTO. Really? Yeah. I think I'm marrying Eleanor. (laughs) Yeah. I love that car so much. That is what's hard. You know, I would think I would bed Eleanor. Oh, I'm definitely marrying the Triple X GTO. I think the GTO is my, my long-term lover. But that Mad Max car, it's been outside for so yeah, it's long. All, it's, you know what? It's all dirty. It's, it's probably carrying sand. stuff. I don't like sand. I don't like sand either. 
<laughs> so we got to kill that car. We're going right, to kill that car. So me and you are kind of on the same page here. It's yeah. close enough. But there you go. <laughs> That's us <laughs> talking about having uh, intercourse with cars. Yeah. I, and just to reiterate, <laughs> I know this was my answer the last time. Still going to kill the General Lee. Yeah, that's the right move. Yeah. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everyone next week for the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. We'll see you then. Enough with the bender. Let's hear it for Zoidberg. See you next week for the King of Kong. <laughs>